Life at St Mary's Hospice. We're going behind the scenes of the hospice, a charity that changes lives. I don't think my brother could have been at home. He couldn't have been in the hospital. He needed the specialist care that they provide and it made that time so much more bearable for us as a family. Making a difference since 1988, it continues to grow even during challenging times. I think mainly because, and especially since Covid, working from home, you feel a little bit detached from the unit and I feel like it really grounds me to be able to give me you know, some sort of vision as to why I do the job that I do and what a difference it makes, uh, where the money goes to that you know, I do the events and challenges for. In this series, we'll hear about the range of care offered, how the hospice has inspired people from all walks of life. Hear from the person in charge. People don't always know what they want when they come in for a job, but once they've seen that there are places that they can progress to, then why wouldn't we be able to offer that as much as we can to the staff that we've got? And those who keep much needed money coming in. They all rave about the cafe, absolutely rave about it, but a lot of them, like I say, have had some dealings through the families, you know, or even themselves. It'll inform, entertain, and it might even change your mind about how you view hospice care. A lot of people who don't know what the hospice is like, or don't really know what to expect, comment when they come that it's nothing like they expected it to be. Welcome to Life at St Mary's Hospice. In this first series, we've heard about the history of the hospice, the range of care it offers, and met some of those who provide it and have received it. But we're living in challenging times where everything costs a little more, and paying the bills today, while all the time planning for tomorrow, is something that's a constant, as Chief Executive Val Stango explains. It's, it's not as simple as you make the money or you don't make the money to continue because some years we will make lots more money than we need and other years we might that might be under threat so it's all about carrying the extra money you've made in the good years forward into the other years you know keeping some in the bank so that you're always covered thinking about what are the eventualities none of us expected covid it's, it's trying to put all of that together in a way that is coherent and lets you plan. So we've got an amount of money in the bank just now, and that's lovely because that means if things went really badly wrong in any particular area, we've got that money to support us and keep us going. But at the same time, you can't keep all that money in the bank because that's not what people give it to us for. So we've also got our trustees saying, so what else? could we do so we've people will know we've opened a dementia service so that's something we sort of don't have the money year on year for but we've got a bit of money in the bank that we're using to spend on it that's the same for some of the new roles we're going to do in the living well center we don't actually have the money year on year in our budget for it but we've got some money in the bank we're going to use because people give us money to make a difference and when we see that there are places where that money could make a difference we have to use it for that we can't just say let's put it in the bank and keep it for a rainy day so it's it's about trying to balance all those different things about the money coming in and out of the hospice to make something work and i think anyone working in another charity would understand that they would they would recognize that dance from day one 
people in other organisations sometimes find it quite puzzling. They'll look at us and say, why have you got so much money in the bank? Well, that's because we don't know where the next money's coming from. And, and that can be confusing to people. They think we're, we're, we're being dragons and sitting on gold. And actually, we're just trying to make sure that there's never too little to make things work. Good afternoon, St Mary's Hospice. Annabelle speaking. How can I help? And that yes, money, certainly. all £4.7 million pounds needed to run the hospice, comes from a variety of sources. Just over a fifth, 22%, is from the NHS. The rest comes from donations. Over 6,300 people play the hospice weekly lottery. Recruiting new members is what Beryl does. We're in Lindell, knocking on doors on, on an evening. Indeed. Which is what you do. That's your job, isn't it? It is, yes. How long have you been doing it? Um, about nine months now. And what do you get out of it? Why, why do you do it? Well, it's a job, isn't it? And it's pleasant. People like to have a chat. I live on my own, so it's nice to chat with people, and I enjoy it. What's why St Mary's Hospice? Why did you want to get involved with the, with the hospice and, and do this for them? Because knocking on doors, cold calling, it's it's hard work, isn't it? Well, this isn't really because everybody knows the hospice. They've either been in it or family have been in it or somebody's in it at the moment. It's got a, it's very well thought of. It really is. And that makes it that little bit easier, I think. But you must walk miles as well. You do. You walk a bit, which is good. <laughs> Keeps the weight down. And dogs. I mean, if you get to a door and the dog's barking, what, are you, you're not scared of dogs? No, no. 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 I don't think you could do it if you were because you do get a few bounding at you. But, uh, and usually... People are usually very nice, and they, like I said, they all know the hospice. And, and you've got, I think, a connection to the hospice, haven't you? A personal connection, is that right? From yes, my husband had two, had a stint in the in the hospice. He had multiple sclerosis, and uh, I hadn't had a holiday for many years. And uh, the district nurses said, "Look, we think you need a break," and they got they arranged for Bill to go in there, and he was very happy. I could tell. It was five days away, but I knew when I came back, he was very, very happy. And what's it like to have that respite care, that, that, that just oh, chance makes, to go away? makes such a difference when you haven't had it for years and years and you kind of get, you're nearly on your knees, you know. So it was, it was lovely. Yeah. And the money, the people you get to sign up to the lottery, which is what we're doing, isn't it? We're trying yes. to get people to, to subscribe to the lottery, yes, the regular yeah. payment, things like that. Yeah. The difference it makes, it's, it brings in thousands of pounds, doesn't it, which keeps the service sure that you've does. used And they coming. all seem to have a connection. They all, I mean, they all love the cafe. Hello. <laughs> Should I move over here? Um, they all rave about the cafe, mm. absolutely rave about it, but a lot of them, like I say, have had some dealings through the families, you know, or even mm. themselves. You never get any negative remarks or any nasty people, even the ones that say, look, we can't afford it, but could you come back? Give it six months, things might be better. And we'll try then, you know. It is, yeah. Gorgeous, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Anyway, lovely to see you again. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave you in peace. Okay. You take care. Take Thank you. Care. Thank, Thank you for staying with them. Bye Just bye. Just you, when it comes to St Mary's, well, why do you want to support it? Why do I want to support it? My brother-in-law um, was cared for in St Mary's. He died about eight or nine years ago. We've supported them ever since. Well, we've done it for years, really, on and off, you know, with local fundraising things. And the lottery makes a real contribution, almost a quarter of a million pounds, according to the latest figures. Lottery manager is Claire Shields. Uh, well, 
we've just had the figures actually, and it's brought in net profit £245,000. So it's a huge amount, it's mm. substantial. And I think people like the lottery because they're supporting St Mary's, but equally they could win £1,000 every Friday. We have a rollover as well, and it's currently sitting at £6,400. It has to go at 10000 it increases by £200 every week. So... I just can't wait for somebody to win it because it's the best part of my job is ringing somebody to tell them that they've won that amount of money. It's the best part of my job, you know, second to none. I can Love imagine it. the reaction, but what kind of things do they say to you? Is it, is oh, I've it... had all sorts. I've had, oh, well, let me phone you back, love. I'm, I've just got out the shower. Mm. I've had, uh, you, you imagine, I've had it. It's absolutely lovely. Um, people are so... Um, happy and gracious a lot are going to spend it on the family or book a holiday people donate some back so yeah we've got some very generous supporters out there it's lovely and, and Annabelle when it comes to fundraising I guess you're constantly looking at income and making sure that money is coming in how hard is it to to do it especially in this say in 2023 and quite tight times isn't it yeah it's getting harder and harder times are tough for people there's a cost of living crisis people only have a certain amount of money that they can donate and that they can set aside for charitable giving and so they've got to be careful where they where they give it they've got to think about um, you know which charity they'd like to donate to um, and that's that budget for them is getting smaller and smaller but our costs are rising um, but we can't you know if our bills go up by 10% we can't ask for our donations to go up 10% um, so a, a, an increasing gap is forming but it does mean that we have to uh, tap into supporters motivation and why think why they might want to to donate you know what what they might want to get out of it because it's you know it's fine if they're they're doing it for in in memory and they want to do it in memory of a loved one you know we want to we want to encourage that we want them to um to sort of get something out of it you know some sort of feeling of of love and comfort um and then also some people do it because they want the challenge um so it's tapping into what you know what kind of things are people wanting to do at the moment you know um we were just talking before about wild swimming um for example which is a bigger thing now uh, and we are actually do, uh, getting involved in the great north swim um so it's it's looking at what you know what sort of things are out there because it's always changing fundraising isn't isn't the same uh, as it was and it does it you know there's different sort of fads and different yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing going on so it, it, you know it's it's keeping an eye on the pulse really and seeing what you know what the motivations are um and and reaching people in different ways as well um because especially with social media you know it's uh we're, we're having to use that more and more we've even had to do tiktoks to sort of reach younger audiences as well because uh, that's another thing to consider um is reaching younger audiences uh, there are fundraisers of the future so we need to um, we need to look into how they get get information and what motivates them. Uh, so it's not a one size fits all approach for for gaining supporters and keeping supporters as well. Because that's another big thing is is make is you know um, trying to build that relationship with supporters so that they're more likely to want to fundraise for us again. The annual Keswick to Barrow Walk always attracts those doing their bit for St Mary's. Um, because I live in the area, I'm local, so obviously I know a lot of um, patients. Uh, I work in a hospital that have gone to St Mary's and I know that they've had excellent care. My mum was at St Mary's, so you looked after her and she was there till she passed away. So that's why we're doing it. And then there's Sylvia Wood, parachuting for the hospice for a special reason. 
I went into general practice and I was in general practice for 28 years, uh, starting in Manchester, uh, in the rather poorer areas of Manchester, Hume, uh, Moss Side, that area. Uh, and after 12 years, I moved to Scotland, Presswick, uh, which of course is a totally different uh, social, social kind of living. Uh, but again, very, very enjoyable, very rewarding, uh, often tiring, because of course we did weekends and night calls <laughs> in those days. Uh, and I retired due to my breast cancer, which was diagnosed in 1993. Uh, I eventually realised I was not coping very well seeing to the patients, so uh, I was able to retire in December 1993. 1993 and since that time I've led a very enjoyable life despite the cancer which uh, nastily came back in uh, 2019 but that was after six, 26 years which is I think a very good span. Uh, it came back last year and uh, again this year but uh, the chemotherapy I'm on, oral chemotherapy, has uh, kept uh, all these secondaries under control. Uh, I'm able to live a pretty normal life. I get a bit tired, uh, but I can still pursue my hobby of gardening and uh, bird watching. Uh, so at the end of the day, at the age of 88, having had that diagnosis in 1993, I'm still able to live a pretty full life. For people to say I look well, that also in, sort of gives you a good feeling and yeah. and helps you, you know, just day to day. Yes. You do look well, and it's maybe surprising to people perhaps as we go into our next part of the conversation because you're doing something for the hospice, which most people probably run a mile, especially at the age of 88, with respect, <laughs> and that's jumping out of a plane to to parachute in a couple yeah. of months' time. Why are you doing it? Well, the. I hadn't really thought about it too much, having done been up in a glider and in uh, a balloon, but had vaguely thought about it. And then I was reading recently the hospice magazine, and the top of this article said, "Would you brave the drop?" And I thought, "That's it. I'll brave the drop, and not just for my own satisfaction, I can raise monies for a very, very good local cause." And that's the reason I'm doing it. Some people call me stupid. Some people say, good on you. And I'm just happy to do it. You must be the most mature person to, or one of the most mature to have jumped at Flukeborough, I'm sure, at 88. Uh, possibly at Flukeborough, but um, I was speaking to somebody, although this was a gentleman who'd done it, and he had been, it was 100 when he did it, and he did it at Flukeborough. And when I was looking for some amusing quotes to put on my hospice page or thinking about it the world record I think if I remember correctly is 100 it's either 101 or 107 but well over 100 anyway as they say in Scotland if I'm spared <laughs> remember Fudd from our earlier episode? He was a music lover from Barrow whose friends were determined to remember him. 
Foodstock, a music festival named in his memory, has become an annual fixture of the entertainment calendar in Furness, and his sister Jo Firth hopes it always will be. Yeah, he was always, always into his music, he loved his festivals, um, and I think for anybody it's, uh, it's, you know, you can take solace in it, you know, whatever you're feeling, music just uplifts you, um, but he'd always had this idea to have a, a local music festival with local bands and artists, um, he thought it would just be a great idea to showcase all that. Um, and he'd spoke to his friends, he'd spoke to us for, for years, trying to make this come, and basically everybody laughed at him and said, you know, you'll never get off the ground, it's just one of your crazy ideas. Um, so after he passed away, we kind of felt it was the ideal way to honour him, um, make it kind of his legacy. So, yeah, so me and um, a group of his friends got together and formed Foodstock. And so far today, with sort of everything that we've, we've done in his memory, we've donated over £70,000 to St Mary's. That's an amazing amount of money, and it's very apt that we're actually recording this interview sat in the courtyard of St Mary's on the furniture, yep. surrounded by the, the flowers and the planters that Foodstock has paid for. Yep, so after um, the last event, the money we donated, we've we've never specified before how we'd like that the funds to be spent because we believe every service St Mary's provides is vital and just as important. Um, however, we did, and because I work here, it was just an area that I just felt could be utilised more than it, it was. Um, just needed a spruce up, so Foodstock has, uh, with the last donation, has you know, provided money for new furniture, um, planters, there's plants been donated since, the walls have been painted, there's a water feature coming, um, and, and it just, when it's finished, it will just look and be used by patients, families, um, you know, and staff alike. It's just a, such a calm, tranquil area. Yeah, I, I think it's just wonderful. It's just something nice that we can actually see what our donation has, has made at, at this point. So, yeah, it's really exciting. So do the donations, the stunts, the walks, the shops do enough to keep the hospice solvent? The answer is yes, but it's a challenge. Here's Helen Carlson. We're doing okay is the reality um, but it's a concern in terms of the cost of living is going up and we are faced with a deficit budget so 92% of hospices across the UK have submitted a deficit budget and what that means is their outgoings are higher than their income and fundraising is a big part of our income so this year our target is 2.9 million pounds of the 4.7 million that we need to bring in so it's finding ways that we can bring that in in a sustainable and predictable manner. And fundraising and sustainable and pre predictable kind of don't go hand in hand. So I guess we're, we're in an okay position, um, but we are highly reliant on legacy income uh, in the last year, which is why we've hit our budget. And you don't actually know when legacies are going to hit. So going forward, we're trying to move to a model where we have uh, an increase in regular giving, which is as small as donations you can give or as big as donations as you can give, but it is a monthly donation. Um, it could be a quarterly donation, but it means that we know it's coming in in, in, in most likely uh, chances it will hit our bank account. There's also the lottery, which again is sustainable, um, corporate partnerships, so charity of the year. 
And another thing that we're looking at is legacies. So we're having a did you know campaign. So did you know you can leave 1% in your will to St Mary's? All you need is the registered charity number and you phone your solicitor and you could put that into your will today for us just to try and safeguard the hospice because the reality is we are in a deficit budget. We can hold that. We have enough in our reserves for a rainy day. If we are facing with this deficit budget as trajectory as it is in five years' time, I think the hospice would be in trouble. And that is the reality because we were born to serve our community. We were born to give people a good death. If you take away, I think that is what we do. Everybody deserves a good death. Um, and it is free at the point of use. And it will always remain free at the point of use. But the costs are expensive to run a medical unit like this. Um, and all the outreach that we do, it comes at a cost. And that cost is around £14,500 a day. So whatever people can do, whether it be joining our events, doing a regular giving, leaving as a legacy, coming on board, and no idea is a bad year. As lo- you know, uh, no idea is a bad idea as long as it is legal. I always say that. Um, but you know, people could come to us with ideas, and they do. You know, our community are our lifeblood for the hospice. Um, they're absolutely fantastic, and we couldn't exist without them. But we exist. It's a symbiotic relationship, I suppose. We exist for them, but we exist because of them. It's interesting the time I've been here. I mean, there can't be many hospices in the country where we're talking at lunchtime and I, I pound a penny. Your your cafe's probably pretty, it's a lovely sunny day. I bet it's busy. So you know that's bringing income in. You mentioned before, I mean, the area is home to quite quite major employers. So I'm sure that hopefully they contribute as well. But, but like you, you put it very very clearly and very starkly that you know the money, the amount of money you need is is huge, and for it to come at a time when everyone's finding things tight you know, because of budget cuts and increasing prices of food and, and power, you know, all of which you need here, of course. You know, where do you see the future going? And do you think you can rely on the pounds a week to, to run the lottery? You know, it's not, not a lot, is it? Or, or are you increasingly going to have to look at big donations from big employers whose employees and their families may have to come here at some stage? I think we have to look at it all. I think the pounds do add up, um, for sure, so that no matter how small a donation people give, it's it's so important and so valued. But you're right, we do need also the bigger donations. Um, the corporates, I think there is more we can do with the corporate community in our area, for sure. It also helps the CSR policy, so it ticks the box for them. It helps with team engagement, staff retention, well-being. So there is lots that we can do. But legacies, if we can make sure that we have living legatives on our system so we know that that money is coming down the road, that allows us to have more of a sustainable approach. So it needs to be, there isn't one size fits all, if I'm honest. Every single income stream needs to work, whether it's the pounds, the cafe, the corporate, the major donors, the legacies, um, the community, the in memory of. It all needs to work for us to make sure that we do climb this mountain that is coming our way. And I think we would be naive to think that the cost of living crisis isn't going to hit. We have an income stream that is a general donation, it's called. And what that means is it's money that comes through the door. Um, it's not solicited. It's not, you know, they haven't done anything. We haven't done anything to get that money to come in. Uh, and it's the lowest it's ever been since I've been here six years. So I think that trajectory is going to continue. I think we have a job to do to make sure that we have enough in our toolkit to attract people with different motivations. And I think we also need to keep telling our story to our warm supporters to make sure they keep giving. Um, I talk about a leaky bucket, for example. So if we get new supporters in, but we're losing them out the bottom of the bucket, 
well, we're never gonna, we're never gonna grow. Um, we're gonna stay even, and actually staying even means we're gonna lose because the cost of living is going up so much. So it, it's we're navigating our way through um, an un- unprecedented time, I would say. I think all charities are a little bit nervous, but one thing I do know is that we are so highly respected in our area. You don't speak to anybody who hasn't been affected by the services. Nobody wants us to to struggle, and I know that. So it's finding ways that how do we reach out to people with our messages to make sure that the money still comes in in whatever way people can give with the understanding we know times are hard. People know that what a hospice is to a point, they know it's somewhere where people come to die. And I think you will always get some people that will want to keep you at arm's length for that. And I don't think we'll ever be able to to change that necessarily. But if this if we get the information out there like this podcast, maybe we can actually increase understanding. So you'll have heard from people in this podcast from staff and from service users or patients um we aren't just a sad place there's an awful lot of happy moments that go on at the hospice and i say we can't change the outcome um but we can change the journey and giving people a good death is so important and i think you just have to look at your own loved ones you want them to have a good death you want them to have pain free it wants to be dignity respect and really listen to what they want Our supporters are just phenomenal. Um, even today I opened an email and there was a six-year-old and a, I think a 13-year-old had raised £13 from selling lemonade on a stand. And that's just heartwarming, right up to when people give you know, the larger donations. But the motivation that people have is just, it's one of the best jobs in the world to hear that you know, you're coming into work every day and every day you go away with a story that has warmed your heart. I do feel very privileged to have, have you know be, have this uh, position, but it does come with its pressure for sure. But yeah, our, our supporters are great. It's keeping them, it's telling them the the right messages so they know where the need is, and it's growing also the supporters so we can continue to do the great work we do in the community. Thanks for listening to Life at St Mary's Hospice. We hope you've enjoyed this series. If you want to learn more about what we do every day, take a look at our website, stmaryshospice.org.uk, or follow us on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for listening.